Well, God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with the second installment of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth. Hallelujah. The Truth of the Gospel. The word gospel, as you probably know, means good news. And we come to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ. That is our only aim. If you're not saved, we hope that you will embrace what we say and give your life to Jesus so that you may inherit eternal life through him, through what he did at Calvary's cruel cross and the fact that God raised him from the dead, bodily raised him from the dead, as a matter of fact, and set him at his only at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion that which is named in this world and the world to come. If you're already saved, if you're already a believer in Jesus, I mean a true believer in Jesus, then we hope to encourage you, to uplift you, to inform you, because you never stop learning about the Lord. You can read the Bible for a million years and barely scratch the surface, because the Bible is the Word of God, and God is infinite. And because God is infinite, His Word is never fully understood by mortal men. I study the Bible a lot and there are people who run rings around me as far as studying and knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, uh, knowledge of the Bible, etc. And I guarantee you those people, whether dead or alive, they, they've only scratched the surface because the word of God is living, it's active, it's powerful. The Bible says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow. The Bible says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. Did you hear that? The word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. The word of God, not people. The word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. That's why when Jesus walked the earth, right, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. When Jesus walked the earth, he was the word of God made flesh. He was the word of God on two feet with two, two arms, two hands, two eyes, etc. And when people would try to run the okey-doke on him, when the religious hypocrites, his, his critics, his enemies would try to, uh, to quote Malcolm X, whose documentary I'm watching right now, although I've got it on silent, there's a documentary on Netflix called Who Killed Malcolm X. So I'm, I'm, I've got it on right now, but it's on silent. I remember Malcolm X said, you've been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled, <laughs> you've been led amuck." When Jesus' enemies and critics would try to hoodwink him, bamboozle him, and lead him amuck, what they didn't realize is Jesus is the word of God. You, you can't trick the word of God. That's why the Bible would often say, and Jesus discerning their thoughts. 
because the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. Not men. The only way we can discern is if God gives us that discernment. But the word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. There is no other book besides the Bible. There is no, there is no other religious publication besides God's word. Genesis through Revelation that can discern the thoughts and the intents of God's of, of, of the human heart. Only the Bible can say the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? But the Lord, the Bible says the Lord knows the hearts of all men. He, he, looks, he looks upon the heart of man, not merely the outward appearance of man. And so we want to come to you today with uh, the continuation of the series that we began on Friday evening. Uh, a series that is very appropriate for the times in which we're living. A series that we hope will have a sharp prophetic impact and voice Jesus and liars. Jesus and liars. Jesus and liars. And according to the law of first mention, if you go back to when the first time a lie is mentioned or told in the Bible, it's, it's, it's Satan. <laughs> Satan is the original liar. Jesus called him the father. The father of something is the originator of something, right? The father of modern jazz or the father of the civil rights movement or the father of um, uh, the NFL, you know, George Hallis or Curly Lambeau, the, the, the Canton Bulldogs. The father of something is the originator of something. So if, fate, if Satan is the father of all lies, he's the originator of it. He 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 was telling lies when he was still Lucifer. Up in up in glory, when he was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, he was lying. Then he lied to a third of the angels, and convinced them to rebel against God. Then he was cast uh, to the earth, and depending on which theological um, theory you believe, whether you believe in the gap theory, etc., that God originally created the earth to be uh, light and brilliant, and that when Satan was cast to the earth, it became dark and void, and then it, that's what we see in Genesis, and then God, in order to restore the earth, he put man there, and then Satan tempted man. That, that's one theory. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, an excellent author, he's no longer alive, but he, 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 he espouses that theory. If you believe that or if you don't believe it, we do know that Satan is the father. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said he was a murderer and Jesus would know because anything that has a beginning, Jesus was there. Because he is before the beginning, according to Micah 5 and 2 and a bunch of other scriptures. So if anybody would know about Lucifer, Satan, that devil, Diablo, uh, that accuser of the brethren, Abaddon, Apollyon, his, his two names given to him in the book of Revelation. If anybody would know about Satan and his proclivities, it would be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to continue our series 
in this series, this message has a lot of it. It's not difficult to find biblical material on this series here. I'm, I'm not struggling at all, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying I'm not struggling at all to find material for this one because all you have to do is really read the Word of God, and you'll see where you'll see the, 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 the uh, ongoing conflict between day and night, light and day. Even the John's Gospel, the fourth Gospel, the one that's not a synoptic Gospel, the one that's not the, pretty much the same as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's Gospel has as its major theme the conflict between day and night, the conflict between light and darkness. You know, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. There's that constant mentioning, that motif, if you will, that theme of day and night, light and darkness. Jesus heals a blind young man, but he's making the point, even though he literally healed the blind young man, he, he was making the point that if you will follow me, you will no longer be blind. You will walk in the light of, of my revelation. And if you will humble yourself and you're blind, I will give you sight. But if you are hard-hearted and rebellious and say that you already see and that you don't need me, Jesus was saying, you'll continue to walk in the darkness. He, he said that at the, at the end of John, at the end of John chapter 9, he said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who are blind may see and those who claim that they can already see may be made blind. Now that's, that's, that's powerful. Read the end of John. Read the whole ninth chapter about the healing of the of the blind young man. But at the end, Jesus says, I, uh, for judgment, I have come into the world. See, we often think of Jesus as some guy who looks like he's on his way to Woodstock, to the Woodstock Music Festival, and some, some uh, tiptoe through the tulips, some panty waist. No, not my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, for judgment I have come into the world, that those who are blind may see, and that those who see, or claim they see, like his critics and his enemies, they may be made blind. Glory to the Lamb of God. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to begin our, our um, second installment of um, Jesus and liars. And what we want to get out of this, among other things, is we don't want to be in league with Satan. Even as Christians, we have to be careful not to allow lying to be an established pattern in our lives. It can happen. It's one of those weights and sins that can easily beset us if we're not careful. We end up lying here and lying there. And Somebody told a lie one time about a little white lie. What do you mean a little white lie? What is, what is this, a little white lie? We end up lying here and lying there and lying on our taxes and lying on our lawn and to our spouse and lying on the job, lying to our kids, lying to ourselves, lying to our church. We end up establishing a pattern of untruthfulness. We end up really, in, in, in essence, uh, aligning ourselves with the devil. Even as believers, we end up giving homage, even though it may be temporary, we, we end up giving homage to Satan by lying, especially habitually. I'm talking about the habitual liar. 
Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you. We thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We come to you because there's no other God we can turn to. You are the only true and living God. You're the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're the God of all glory. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you for allowing us to mention your name. The name of your dear son, Jesus, our Lord, and the blessed name of your Holy Spirit, O God. We thank you that you saved us, that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, it was by your grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It was by your grace. It was by your mercy. It was by your kindness that you saved us. For we are and were depraved sinners incapable of saving ourselves. Yes, Lord, yea, Lord, though we may cover ourselves with fig leaves, only the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, can wash away our sins. Blessed be your name forever, 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 forever. I pray that you'll bless your people. Those who are not saved, I pray that your glory, your mercy, your grace will smile upon them and that you'll save them and make them, Lord, in the company of the elect, and those who are saved, I pray that this message and messages all over the world, I pray, will encourage them, enlighten them, inform them, Lord. Challenge them, Lord. Help us to challenge those who are believers, Lord, to draw closer to you. Lord, you said if we would draw closer to you, that you would draw closer to us. That if we would cleanse our hands from, it, from the iniquity, from our sins and our iniquities, that you would receive us, Lord God. Blessed be your name forever through Jesus Christ, your Holy Son. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, God. Forgive us for our sins, please, by your unsearchable grace and mercy and kindness, which you wrought upon us when you raised your dear Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead and set him at your own right hand, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but in, this, in the world to come. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that this lesson and teaching and preaching all over the world will build up your everlasting kingdom and that we will exalt your son, Jesus Christ, to the highest pinnacle of glory and that we will be like the Apostle Paul when he said, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, ourselves, the servants of the people. Oh God, blessed be your name. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We started talking on Friday about uh, the original lie. The original, uh, the original lie would be in Genesis chapter 3. When the Lord told Adam, do not, eat of the tree of the, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This was before he created Eve out of Adam's side, out of his rib. Then the Lord created Eve to be the um, help meet, the companion for Adam. Then that takes us into chapter 3. Then in chapter 3 of Genesis, it says the serpent was more cunning, subtle, uh, beguiling, slick, if you will, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is the serpent speaking to the woman. He, he approached the woman. He didn't approach Adam. He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan is 
is challenging the word of God. At this time, there was no word of God as in Bible, but there was the command from God. So in essence, what we have today, the word of God is the command from God or commands from God. And here Satan is challenging God's authority. Just as he challenges, he's challenged it down through millennia. And he challenges God's authority today. You see a lot of people even today questioning whether the Bible is God's word. Questioning the authority, even people in churches. Questioning, doubting the authority of God's word. That's, a, that's been a big fight. A big brouhaha, a big kerfuffle for, for down through the years. Satan is the originator of such a, a, a struggle, a conflict. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice he put that seed of doubt in Eve's mind. Didn't, did, did God not say? And the woman said to the serpent, at least she, and I'm, I'm going to give her credit, at least she put up an initial struggle. I mean, she, she preached for a little while. <laughs> we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, this is Eve speaking, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now where she got the touch it part from, I don't know. But God did say, you shall not eat it. And then Eve said, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Maybe she misinterpreted slightly what Adam told her. Or maybe God spoke to her directly, and it's just not recorded in the Bible. I don't know. I suspect that she got the information from Adam, but I can't prove it, so let's move on. So when the woman saw, excuse me, verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He called God a liar. He challenged the veracity, the truthfulness, the authority of God's word, of God's commands. You're not going to die. You can, you can show people today what the Bible says about certain lifestyles and that if you continue in that lifestyle, uh, bad news is going to be at the end of the tunnel. And the enemy has them deceived into thinking, no, that's not going to happen. Not to me. The serpent said, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And even if that were true, because if you look at the end of the chapter, actually what, what, what Satan said, what the, what, what the serpent said there, was well, true. But the point was, God said, don't eat of that tree. Because God wanted Adam and Eve to remain in a state of blissful ignorance. Not the kind of ignorance that we're warned against today if we don't know his word, etc. He did not want them to know of the shame of their nakedness. He did not want them to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan said, no, God didn't say that. Now you must have imagined it. No, God, that's old fashioned. God, don't worry about that. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God said you would die. The serpent said you won't die. God said you would die. Somebody's lying and you know who was lying. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. And there are, there are those preaching and teaching in Christian churches today that we as Christians can be Jesus, can be just like, no, we can be like Jesus as far as following him and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That, that's biblical. But there are those teaching today, even in Christian churches, that we can ascend to the point of being gods ourselves. That's, that's a satanic teaching. But it's in churches today. It's similar to what God is what, what Satan said right here. So when the woman saw her eyes, right? The lust of the eyes, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, right? The lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. A tree desirable to make well, they already had wisdom. God had already given Adam and Eve wisdom. Now the devil wanted them to go beyond what boundaries God had already set. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Nothing happened. But when she gave to her husband with her, so he's standing there, you know, apparently watching the whole thing go down and not putting up any protests. She gave to her husband. That, that's why the Lord is going to rebuke Adam later and say, because you've listened to your wife. And it's a beautiful thing to listen to your wife, but not in this case. There are two instances in the Bible, at least, where you should not have listened to your wife. One is with Job when his wife told him to curse God and die. And this instance right here. So there's nothing wrong with listening to your wife because often women have wisdom as far as handling finances and things like that that the man may not have. So the issue is not listening to your wife at all. The issue is listening to her right here. God is going to rebuke Adam later on in this same third chapter of Genesis. He's going to say, because you have listened to your wife's voice, I'm going to curse the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles it's going to produce. You're going to have to toil through the sweat of your brow. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They weren't opened until Adam ate. Adam was the human head of creation. Jesus, of course, is the head of creation. He is the creator. He is what they call in the Greek, the prototokos, where we get the word prototype. Jesus is the creator, but Adam was the head of human creation. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. So Adam was the head of human creation. Remember, it was Adam who named the species, etc. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. That's a knowledge that God did not want them to have. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. Here's man's initial attempt to cover his sins through his own works. Did you hear that? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. That was a knowledge God didn't want them to have. And they sewed fig leaves together. Their works. They tried to, they tried to cover their nakedness. They tried to cover their sins. Their sin in this case, eating of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. They tried to cover their sin by their own works, their own efforts. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. Here comes the Lord because sin must always be accounted for. Often not right away, but sin must be accounted for. 
Verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, because of their guilt, because of the shame of their nakedness, see, this is something that the Lord, Lord didn't want them to have. He didn't want them to have this knowledge. And now here they are. They've broken his commandment. And now here comes shame, fear, guilt because of sin. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, or so they thought. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The same trees that he told them they could eat from, with the exception of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now Adam and Eve, who had been enjoying uh, bliss, now they're hiding in fear and shame. They're in the closet, if you will. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Notice he didn't call to Eve. He called to Adam, the human head of creation, as far as human, uh, as far as man is concerned. Adam is now speaking in fear. Instead of being the man who had been given dominion over the earth to name the creatures, etc., now that same man is afraid. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I told the story when my father would come home, and, and we had uh, hardwood floors, and he would walk across the hardwood floors, and it was it made a very heavy, intimidating sound. And if you had done wrong, and you knew that my mother was going to tell my father, because my father was the chief discipliner. I don't remember any, any of my mother's whippings. I don't even think she ever whipped me, but my father did. I remember those whippings quite well. <laughs> so when my father came home and he would walk across the floor, it was like this right here, God, the voice of the Lord in the garden. And Adam in fear said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see that? And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? You see that? The Lord is, the Lord already knew. He's just bringing Adam and Eve into account for their actions. But listening to that liar, Satan. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me. So Adam is kind of passing the buck here. Well, the woman you gave me, Lord. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord went to the woman. The woman said, the Lord said, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. She was right. The Bible bears witness with that. First Timothy uh, 2, I believe 14. Paul says the woman was deceived by, the, by Satan. Uh, he also made that point in 2 Corinthians, I want to say chapter 10. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. He lied to me. He deceived me. He, he hoodwinked me. He bamboozled me. He led me amok and I ate. She was telling the truth. Then the Lord went to the serpent. See, the Lord, the Lord is calling everybody into account here. The man, the woman, the serpent, the man, the woman, the serpent, the man, the woman, the serpent. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done it. Notice the Lord didn't say to the serpent, what have you done? He said to Adam, what have you done? He said to Eve, what have you done? He didn't say that to the serpent. He just went ahead and pronounced judgment. If there's any significance in that, I'm not sure, but there could be. 
So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, conflict between you and the woman. And between your seed, the seed of the serpent, the seed of Satan, and her seed. Now notice what the Lord says next. He, notice her seed is singular. He shall bruise your head. That he is Jesus Christ. He shall bruise the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice Jesus' wound is fatal. The serpent's wound upon Jesus is not fatal. If I shoot you in the heel, and then I shoot somebody else in the head, the person who gets shot in the head is probably, there have been some people shot in the head who live, like the congresswoman Gabby Giffords, the bullet went straight through. But then there are other people such as JFK, Martin Luther King, etc. They get shot in the head and they don't live. So the head wound, as you know, is fatal because that's where the brain is and the great blood supply, etc. So the, the wound inflicted upon the serpent, upon Satan, upon his kingdom, upon the satanic uh, um, principalities and powers, right? Might and dominion that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. That wound will be fatal. Jesus already defeated Satan at the cross. The final outcome of it just has not been realized yet. Satan has not been banished yet because it's not God's timing yet to totally banish Satan. There are certain prophetic uh, um, occurrences that have to occur, prophetic events that have to occur first. If you read the Bible, the prophetic scriptures, especially the book of Revelation. But Satan has already been defeated. He defeated Jesus. De Jesus defeated him at the cross. It's kind of like a, if you watch a football game and the one team is up 50 to nothing, you still got to play the whole game. The, the Kansas City Chiefs can be up 50 to nothing to a team at halftime. They still got to play the other half. So Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. And those of us who believe in Jesus were on the winning team. But the game still has to be played. That's the best way I can explain it. To the woman, the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I'm going to look that up. What that means, your desire shall be for your husband. Because the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. And I'm going to try to find out what does that mean. Does that mean that her, her desire... A sexual desire or is it a desire is, is it a desire to rule over her husband i don't know to be honest with you i'm gonna but i'm gonna do my best to find out your desire shall be for your husband it, it could be something completely harmless you know it could just be that your desire would be for your man i don't know because i'm reading it in english and the original uh, language was hebrew but i'm gonna do my best to find out what that means and i, ch I challenge you to uh, also look it up your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So it could be that her desire would be to rule over her husband, but the Lord said, and he shall rule over you as a result of this curse. Perhaps before the curse, it would have been a totally equal partnership. But because Eve listened to the serpent 
and, and played a major role in the downfall of man, perhaps this is where the Lord decreed that a husband would rule over his wife. Paul kind of alludes to that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But again, I'm going to investigate that because my knowledge on that is not, is not complete. Then to Adam. So now he, he goes, Adam, Adam, woman, serpent, serpent, woman, back to Adam. Adam, where are you? What, what did you do? Oh, Lord, the woman you gave me. Then he goes to the woman. Oh, the serpent deceived me. Then he goes to the serpent and pronounces judgment. Then he goes back to the woman. Then he goes back to Adam. Glory to the... Woo. Then he goes back to Adam, verse 17, Genesis chapter 3. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Now, if you take that scripture out of context, then you will believe that a man should never heed the voice of his wife. That scripture is not saying that. That would be eisegeting that passage instead of exegeting it, correctly interpreting it. It's not saying a man should never listen to his wife. It's saying right here, Adam was not supposed to listen to his wife. It's saying in Job, when, when his wife said, curse God and die, Job said, you must be crazy. You talk like one of them crazy women down at the beauty parlor. I'm not going to curse God. Shall I receive just blessings at the hand of the Lord and not adversity? And all these things Job said not with his mouth or his actions. So we, we have to be careful uh, not to take scripture out of context. You just can't take one passage of scripture and give it a universal application unless the Bible specifically teaches to give it a universal application. If my wife has wisdom for me to listen to, I should listen to it. I can't say no, because Adam said, uh, because God said to Adam, you were wrong for listening to your wife. That would be a, that would be a terrible misinterpretation of this passage right here. Adam was not supposed to listen to her right here. But it doesn't mean a husband is not supposed to ever listen to his wife. But some people would misuse that scripture like that and, and, and try to keep women in total subjugation, even slavery, etc. Then, then to Adam, the Lord said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. So you, you listen to your wife over me. The Lord is saying, I commanded you not to eat of that tree. You listen to your wife. In essence, you committed a, um, idolatry because you, you listen to your wife's voice who listened to the serpent more than you listened to me. So the Lord said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Here the earth is falling into a curse. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Instead of living in bliss, now you're going to have to get out there and go to work. <laughs> Dog, Adam. <laughs> right? In all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you. Now that's very important. Because when Jesus went to the cross for our sins, what kind of crown was he wearing on his head? Was he wearing a gold crown with diamonds? You know, a gold diamond studded crown? No, he was wearing a crown of thorns. So he carried the curse. Hallelujah. He was wearing the curse. He bore our curse upon him. Self to the cross. 
when Jesus, the Roman soldiers, they didn't even, I'm sure they didn't know it because the Roman soldiers, they wouldn't have known about this, this, this Hebrew theology here. Unwittingly, the, the Roman soldiers were being prophetic. They put a crown of thorns on Jesus' lovely brow. And I guarantee you, they didn't say to Jesus, you know, does this hurt? You, you've seen police putting people in the car, in the back of the squad car, and they'll have their hand on top of their head to make sure they don't bump their head on the car so they can claim police brutality. They make sure that they get into the car without bumping their head. I guarantee you the Roman soldiers didn't say, no, you know, Jesus, let us know if this hurts. No, they thrust that crown of thorns into his lovely brow. That was, that's where part of his bleeding came from. Have you ever cut your finger on a thorn? Okay, now multiply that. These thorns were probably very long and razor sharp, just like all thorns are, razor sharp. And now this is a crown of thorns being forced into his scalp. So Jesus, by, by wearing that crown of thorns, he bore the curse of mankind up to Calvary's cross and died for our sins the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse, specifically the curse of the law, the law that came to be a, a schoolmaster, a discipline, a, lead, a guide until the time, until the fullness of time when Jesus came. Christ redeemed us from the curse, being made a curse for us. Hallelujah. Christ redeemed us from the lie of Satan because he is the truth. He is the way, the truth. And the life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. You're going back to the ground, buddy. Because you... You, you didn't listen to what... Now, Jesus was foreordained from the foundation of the world, so God knew that Adam and Eve would sin. But it would be theologically, morally, ethically incorrect to say that God made them sin. He knew they would sin because he has all knowledge. The Bible says Christ was ordained from before the foundation of the world. So in order for God to ordain Christ before the foundation of the world, he had to know that Adam and Eve would sin. That's because he's God. But to say God made them sin would be incorrect. That would be to charge God with committing sin, in essence. And that's not so. The Bible says Christ is not the minister of sin. He's not the servant of sin. He's not the one who would make someone sin. But just like you know, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching over 30 years. I know uh, I've been teaching mostly teenagers. So I know teenage behavior. I can pretty much set my watch to certain behaviors that will occur in certain situations. Well, if I can do that and, and I'm mortal and, and I'm not omniscient, right, like God is, then certainly God, he knew Adam and Eve would sin because he has all knowledge, because he's the first and the last, the Alpha and the, the, and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. So he knows all things from the beginning to the end. Many of those things he reveals to us through what's called prophecy, prophetic writings of the scriptures, gift of prophecy, etc., all right, Adam, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, Adam. I took you out of the ground. See, you, you got a bad case of the big head. Dust you are, Adam. One of the most beautiful songs ever written is a, a song called Dust in the Wind. 
All we are, all we are is dust in the wind. It's a beautiful song. It's not even a gospel song. It's a secular song. It's, a, it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written and ever sung and, and ever uh, put to music. All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Dust in the wind. It's a beautiful song, and and it's 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 very scriptural. And again, it's not it, you're not going to find it. On, I don't know the name of the group. I'll look it up on YouTube. Um, um, it's not a gospel song. It's not written by and performed by a gospel group, etc. It's a secular artist, but uh, this person has revelation here. All we are is dust in the wind. Even though we can't, we try to act like we're a lot more. All we are is dust in the wind. Out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's why the preacher says at the funeral, at the interment, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So notice, although the 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 pronouncement of the curse had been placed upon them, God did not strip Adam of all authority. He didn't strip him totally. Also for Adam and his wife. Now here's the Lord. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna perform his first re, his first step toward redemption was was Genesis three fifteen when he it's the first it's what's called the first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy that predicted that Jesus would come when he said that the that the seed of the woman being Jesus would bruise the serpent's head. He would bruise his head and the serpent would bruise his heel. That's the first messianic prophecy. It's not the first prophecy in the Bible. I contend the first prophecy in the Bible is in Genesis chapter two, where the Lord said to Adam, you may eat of the tree of every fruit of the garden, of, uh, eat of the fruit of the tr every tree in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that for in the day that you eat of that, you shall die. To me, that's the first prophecy in the Bible. But the first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy related to the coming of Jesus to redeem mankind, that first prophecy is Genesis 3.15. Now, now we get to the first act that God performs to start the wheels of our redemption. Notice what the Lord does here. Even though he pronounces the curse, because Adam and Eve listened to, to, to Satan's lies, Satan that liar, Satan the father of every lie. Notice the first act of redemption. The Lord made tunics of skin. The Bible could have just said the Lord made tunics, but it says of skin. That means an animal had to be killed for the tunics the coverings, the coats, if you will, to be made. Remember, Adam and Eve had tried to cover their own sins by their own works. Remember, they they sold some fig leaves together. Well, fig leaves are not going to cover your na uh, the nakedness of a human being. Not not a fig. I don't care. How, I don't know how big those fig leaves were, but that's that's man trying to cover his own sin by his own efforts. Man's efforts cannot cover his sins. But here's God, even though he had pronounced the curse that he was going to evict them from the Garden of Eden, God performs the first redemptive act. He made tunics of skin. This is God's mercy. And he clothed them. God, in judgment, is showing mercy. Glory to the Lamb of God. 
and this covering would con this covering of this skin and then eventually the law would come and the law the bible says was never intended to last the law the bible says was a schoolmaster a disciplinary force a a, a teacher a guide uh, a restrainer to restrain uh, the behavior especially of the children of israel until the fullness of time when jesus would come and die on the cross that's why those in the old testament who came before jesus walked the earth they couldn't be saved until Jesus died on the cross. Once Jesus died on the cross, not only did his blood um, save us who accept him, but it also reached back to the Old Testament and saved many of those. I don't know how many of those individuals, I can't say they were all saved because many of them were wicked, etc. So I, I'm not going to say everybody in the Old Testament was saved. I'm not going to say that. Maybe somebody else will. But the blood, I do know the blood of Jesus Christ stretched back to the Old Testament, going back to Adam coming up until the time when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible talks about that in Hebrews chapter 11, how the people of faith in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, the Jewish scripts, uh, scriptures, the Bible says in, at the end of chapter Hebrews that they could not be completely saved until that better thing came along. That better thing, of course, was Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. So God made tunics of skin and clothed, clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord had to do something. He evicted them from the garden and put a flaming sword, the angel with a flaming sword to guard the way of the garden, the way of the tree of life. Here's the point in Genesis. Then I'm going to move on for a while and then I'll close. The first lie in the Bible, what we call the law of first mention, whenever something is first mentioned in the Bible, it generally has a, a controlling, it shows a controlling pattern. The first lie in the Bible was told by the devil. Notice the first lie wasn't told by man. Adam didn't tell the first lie. Eve didn't tell the first lie. Cain didn't tell the first lie. Abel didn't tell the first lie. Noah didn't tell the first lie. Methuselah who lived 969 years, the longest of any man on earth. He didn't tell the first lie. Uh, Enoch didn't tell the first lie. Satan, the devil, the serpent himself, told the first lie. And since he told the first lie, what, what that's showing us is that what, what Jesus said, Jesus said in John 8, 44, when he was talking to his critics, he said, you're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of every lie. The first lie in the Bible is the devil. And that lie has continued, as we'll see in lessons to come, etc. And if you'll do your own Bible um, study, down through the Old Testament, you're going to see lie after lie after lie after lie after lie told. Into the New Testament, lie after lie. And, 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 and then we eventually get to the point in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, where men start lying. Men start lying in order to cover their tracks, in order to cover their mistakes, in order to cover their crimes, in order to cover their sins. Men start lying. Why? Because man is a fallen creature. Man is a depraved sinner. Some people act out that depravity in more depraved ways than others. Not everybody is a Charles Manson, Ted Bundy serial killer, but man is a depraved sinner. And the only way we can be de uh, delivered, released from that depravity, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
But man is a depraved sinner. He might look good. And there are many people who, who don't commit horrendous, most of us don't commit horrendous crimes, like I mentioned Charles Manson or a Ted Bundy or a Richard Hickok and a, a, a Perry Smith, the two killers in cold blood who killed Herbert Clutter and his farm family in, in uh, Holcomb, Kansas in 1959. That was the... That was the those were the killings that 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 brought forth the movie the uh, book by Truman Capote in cold blood. Most people don't commit those kind of crimes. You see the crimes you know, if you watch forensic files. Forensic files sometimes stays on twenty four hours a day just to show the the amount of homicides that take place. Most people don't commit them those kind of sins. So when we think of the word depraved, we we can't just think of a depraved serial killer like a Ted Bundy or a Charles Manson or uh, uh, Richard Ramirez, the, uh, the the night stalker out in Los Angeles, Wayne Williams, uh, you know, killing uh, black boys, black black children in Atlanta. Most people are not depraved in that sense, but man is still a depraved sinner, meaning he cannot save himself. Meaning, man has the capacity. Man has the capacity to commit these crimes. Some do, most don't. But man has the capacity to commit these crimes, to, to, to do anything if the right circumstances are present. Now we start getting into nurture, nature, genetics, um, um, environment, you know, what, what your parents, you know, nurtured you, etc. We see certain patterns with certain serial killers. Many serial killers had a very poor relationship with their mother and they end up killing women and prostitutes and things like that. So, you know, that, that's another argument that we can't spend a lot of time on right now. But man is a depraved sinner. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Man is a depraved sinner because he has fallen under the sway of the devil himself. And the only way to be released, and there is a way, and the way is free. Because the price has already been paid at Calvary's cruel cross. It's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come with me to the Gospel of John. I'm going to leave Genesis for today. Come with me to John's Gospel, to the 10th chapter. Remember, the name of the lesson is Satan, or excuse me, Jesus and Liars. Jesus and Liars. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. So whenever Jesus presents himself, he always presents himself as the antithesis of what Satan and sin is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the truth. I'm, I'm light. I am the light of the world. Notice he's always presenting himself in direct opposition in direct antipathy, if you will, in direct contradiction to what the devil is. The devil is darkness. The devil is ignorance. The devil is deception, as he deceived Eve. The devil comes to deceive. Jesus comes to enlighten. Jesus said in John uh, chapter 8, I believe, verse 31, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice, Jesus is saying, I want to enlighten you. I want to deliver you from the bondage of darkness. 
The devil wants to keep you in bondage. The devil wants to keep you a slave to sin. Jesus says, I want you to be a slave, but I want you to be my slave. Jesus says, I want you to be on my plantation. On my plantation, you're not being abused. You're not being raped and pillaged. You're not being uh, you know, driven by a, a Simon Legree, harsh taskmaster. He says, on my plantation, if you are a slave, the Greek word is a, a, a doulos, you're a servant because you're serving me. You're worshiping me on Satan's plantation. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard plantation. It's one of those Mississippi plantations of the 1850s. <laughs> and there's a Simon Legree, the, the sadistic slave driver. His name is the devil. Let's go to John chapter 10. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said about himself. John chapter 10. He's going to talk, he's going to, he's going to contrast himself, the truth, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. Jesus is mentioned three times in the New Testament as the, as the, as the quintessential shepherd. John 10, he's the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, he's the great shepherd. 1 Peter 5, he's the chief shepherd. John 10, he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13, he's the great shepherd. If you read the context of Hebrews 13, Jesus is in the benediction, Jesus is called that great shepherd of the sheep. In Hebrews 5, he's the chief shepherd. In the context of Hebrews 5, he's the shepherd over all other shepherds, over pastors and bishops and uh, apostles and etc. and prophets. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. John 10, he said, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate. See, he's saying anybody who tries, who tries to come in by the okie doke. Anybody who tries to come in through a lie. You don't have the, you know, when I go to my job, I can get into the building. I have a card. It's a magnetic strip. And when I run that card across the alarm system, it opens the door. Glory to God. Jesus is saying, if you ain't got that card, you ain't coming in. I am the card. I, not only am I the card, I'm the door. Glory to the hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. The Pharisees were his chief critics. They were a religious sect. The, the, the word Pharisee means separated ones, but not separated like sanctified under God. Separated as in self-righteous. They were self-righteous. That's why they hated Jesus, because they didn't want to submit to Jesus, the perfect righteousness of God. So Jesus says in John 10, very truly, I tell you Pharisees, and he was looking them eye to eye when he told him this. He wasn't looking at the ceiling. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. You know what point he's about to make, right? The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Because his sheep follow the truth, because he's the truth. But they will never follow a stranger. A true disciple of Jesus will never follow a stranger. A true disciple of Jesus. 
will not follow a stranger. He says they won't, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. He's talking actually about sheep herding. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, meaning a literal shepherd who watches over sheep, whether it was David or whoever. The sheep know that shepherd's voice. They're not going to follow some shepherd who just shows up. Jesus says they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And those of us who are true disciples, and if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus, you will follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will not follow the voice, the cultic voice, the murderous voice, the lying voice of a stranger. Jesus used this figure of speech or parable, some Bibles would say. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you. Okay, he, he's going to reiterate. As a good teacher, he's going he's to teach the lesson and then give a summary of it. <laughs> I am the gate for the sheep. Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm the gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. I am the gate. Jesus said, I am. When Jesus said, I am, I'm the way, the truth, and life, I am the gate. You see, people want to try to add to it and say, no, no, that's impossible. There got to be more ways. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Jesus. I never would have had the nerve to say that one man is the way, the truth, and the life unless Jesus put that revelation in my heart. And now I'm willing, I'm willing to die for our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm willing to, I will never change my mind that he is the door. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He is the, he is the, he's the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. If you don't enter by Jesus, you ain't going to be saved. You're not getting into his sheepfold. You might get into a sheepfold. You're a lot of sheepfolds. Jesus says, if you want to be in my sheepfold, if you want me, if you want to live out the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides the still waters, etc. You're going to have to come through me. You're not living out the 23rd Psalm with some false prophet, some jackleg, bootleg prophet, preacher, who's exalting himself or some false god. Jesus said, if you want to live out the 23rd Psalm, you got to ride or die. Ride and die with me. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, the liar, Satan, the serpent, or his, or his apostles. You see, you see, Satan has apostles. Talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Such are false, false apostles. Jesus commended the church in the Revelation, the church at Ephesus. He says, I commend you. You've tried those who say they are apostles and they're not. You found them to be liars. We'll talk about that in a later lesson. I commend you for, for pulling, the, pulling the cover off of these false apostles, these apostles of Satan. He said, you, he said to the church in Ephesus in, in Revelation, it was the first church of the seven churches that Jesus addressed. I commend you because there were some false apostles who tried to defile your church or actually his church, Jesus' church, but the church at Ephesus. And you pull the cover off of their scheme. I commend you because they use the discern, discernment the Lord had given them to discern false prophets, false preachers, false apostles. The Bible calls them apostles of Satan. 
Satan comes as an angel of light. They will come in and go out and find pastor. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And that they may have it to the full. 